You're listening to the RE Social Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Vince from Onvi Invest. For more information, go to onvinvest.com. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of RE Social Podcast. Today, we have a super special two guests. Have you ever had two people before? What's better than one guest? Two. Two guests. We have uh, Amanda and David. I met them at the RPM Raising Private Capital with Amy Majuri. Welcome to the show, guys. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. I know we like to uh, meet. I know uh, a lot of people in the industry, especially local. I know that this one, uh, Drew is going to be very curious because he runs the operations for our business and you guys are like killing it. So for people who don't know, can you guys uh, give like a 90 second uh, intro? Like, what do you guys do? Yeah, definitely. We'd love to. Um, well, first off, thanks for having us. It's an honor to be here. Uh, but I'm David. This is my lovely, amazing, and beautiful wife, Amanda. Uh, we're real estate investors based out of Joshua Tree, Yucca Valley, California. Uh, we're essentially products of the American dream. Both of our families came here from different countries. Um, Amanda's family came from Mexico. My family came from Mexico as well um, with the idea to give their families a better life. And so we firmly believe that it's this idea of, of us being products of the American dream. That's why we strive to, to, to work so hard. That's why we have such a large drive to grow our wealth and to um, ultimately provide a better life for our children and our children's children. So we started off in corporate America, just like everyone else, being families of immigrants. Education was important, right? Going to school was huge for us. Go to school get a job. And that's exactly what we did. Um, both of us have master's degree. I had a little bit of fun in the beginning. So uh, it took me a while to get serious and uh, get my degrees done. Um, but eventually I got a degree um, in anthropology and then a master's in archaeology. Amanda got a master's in business. And even though we were working in corporate jobs, we were, quote unquote, using our degree, as they say, it wasn't enough. We still didn't have assets. We still didn't have our own house. And it wasn't until Amanda actually got laid off from her previous company that we started looking into real estate investing. Um, so we officially started investing in real estate um, at the very end of 2019. We established our, our company and then we got our first deal done in April of 2020. And we've been full-time real estate investors ever since. We're now we specialize in the short-term rental hospitality industry. Uh, we have uh, four short-term rentals in our portfolio right now. We just we just launched a ten-key boutique hotel in downtown Palm Springs, um, and we're in the process of acquiring more short-term rentals and boutique hotels. And are they all in Joshua Tree? Uh, our four short-term rentals are in Joshua Tree. Yes, we're building another one for a client near Sedona, Arizona. Um, and then our boutique hotel is in Palm Springs, California. That's awesome, man. So, you know, when you said you started in 2018 or 2020? Uh, 2019, we officially started our company and we didn't get our first deal done until 2020. Um, so since then, we've now established a $6.8 million real estate portfolio across our four houses and then the 10 key boutique hotel. That's awesome, man. I want to dig into that. But first, I wanted to start with, you know, our timelines are very similar. Uh, Drew and I actually started in 2018. We bought one uh, triplex in Bakersfield. Then we bought the second one in 2019. And basically, we bought everything else during the same timeline as you guys. But I wanted to ask you, how did you have the um, knowledge or confidence, uh, both of you, anyone can answer, to start at the worst time, what everybody was telling you, this is the worst time to buy anything you are more on. I'm sure people told you that. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You wanna yeah, yeah. So yeah, we started just as the pandemic was hitting and everyone was in sort of a freeze mode, right? We had people saying, don't buy, don't do anything, don't invest. We had all Oscar, which is our third business partner, by the way, and he's my brother. We had just left corporate America. We were in this full time and everyone was saying, don't buy, don't buy, everything's going to crash. And we had no choice but to invest anyway. So we, we, we just went for it. I mean, there were agents who said, I can't believe you're still making offers. This is really incredible. So at the time, we just had really no choice but to try to make it work. And we're glad we did. As you know, 2021, 2022 was you know, a massive boom for real estate. And we were in the right place at the right time. And not just that, we're really big believers in mentorship and getting formal guidance. So we've been part of, we probably spent like six figures on masterminds and real estate education. So those are the, I guess, the the different um, guidebooks that gave us the confidence to invest, even at a time when things are really uncertain. Yeah, for me, that's really kind of like a two-part question. So in the beginning, it was a little bit, we were naive, like we don't know, we don't know. So since we were so new within real estate, everything was an opportunity for us at that point. We hadn't come from this, you know, three, four, five year bull market. We hadn't been in that yet. So we were just like shiny object syndrome, like kids in a candy store. So for us, it was all a huge learning opportunity. And we went in there with the mindset of making it work. It was never like, well, if we try this real estate thing and maybe we can, that was never on our mind. Our mind was always, we're going to make this work. How do we figure this out? How can we figure this out? Who's going to help us figure it out? Okay, that's good. So uh, can you guys talk about the first deal that you did buy? And also yeah. before that, did you, uh, Amanda mentioned that you dropped six figures in education. Was that before the first deal? Uh, that was throughout the last, since, since we started investing. So over the last three or four years, we've been in, I don't know, maybe a handful of masterminds now. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. And then did you, were, were you part of any mastermind before you bought the first deal? Uh, we, so we started a real estate education program in like 2019. That's how we got into real estate. Okay. And we spent all of 2020 learning the curriculum, you know, attending coaching calls. And that's when we finally felt the confidence to get into our first deal, which we can dive into if you want. Yeah. We joined, um, it's called fortune builders. Um, at the oh, time. I love fortune builders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. we were originally fortune builder <laughs> students. We actually we didn't have the cash to drop on fortune builders. It's a fifty thousand mm -hmm. dollar program when yeah. you know we first looked into it. Um, but luckily, we applied for no interest credit cards at fifteen months, and that's essentially the loan we used to buy into fortune builders. So we had fifteen months and no interest to make something happen, and we sold our first flip on month fourteen and made a nice little killing. You want to tell them the story of the of how we got our first flip done? Yeah, let's get into our first deal. So it was fall of 2020 and we were just sending out offers after offers trying to get our first deal in. Our first flip actually came from uh, uh, some someone that I knew, a former coworker of mine who was selling her rental property in Joshua Tree. This is actually how we ended up in this market. It wasn't the original plan, but we ended up in this market and ended up staying out here. But she let us know that she was selling all of her property in California. She wanted to sell her rental property. And at the time, Joshua Tree was just starting to take off. So we got it under contract, actually seller financing, which is really incredible. We pulled from my IRA to fund the, the rehab and we did a three-month flip. 
we sold it to what ended up being a short-term rental investor. I think we made like $130,000 on that deal in three months. So that's what really opened our eyes to number one, like, Look at what look at real estate can do for us. Number two, what's going on in Joshua Tree? Why did we get 60K over asking? There's something going on here. And that's what really had us investigate more in the market, what's going on out here, why it was booming, and why short-term rental rental investors are were buying up like crazy. So we ended up building a business model around uh around this market, creating creating these beautiful properties that are are tailored to short-term rental investors so that they're pretty much turnkey and ready to go when they're when they buy the, these properties and get launched immediately after. Yeah, I think that's a huge, huge factor for us was we knew who our target customer was. We knew who the target end buyer was going to be. And that was a short-term rental investor. So in the house flipping world, we were taught don't do landscaping, just get the house ready to go compete with the comps. And then the next buyer is going to do the landscaping. Well, we took it a little bit, we took it a step further and we threw some amenities in the backyard. We put a nice pergola back there. We put some string lights, a cowboy tub and a smart lock on the door. So those few things right away separated us from the rest of the houses that were on the market, which is why we had a flood of short-term rental investors uh, make offers. And eventually, you know, a short-term rental investor ended up purchasing a home. And you made 130 clean. That's after repairs and all that. Yeah, dude, we bought it for 205. We put about 55K into it. We listed it for 330 and sold for 410. That's great. Damn. Yeah. And it happened to be right there with that push where the rates were super low and everyone's like, you know, I'll name my firstborn after you. If you <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a crazy time, dude. But we were watching the market and we were saying like, wait, what is this Airbnb thing? Like we had stayed in Airbnbs before, but in my opinion, real estate and hospitality weren't so infused at that point. It was kind of like some folks were doing, you know, Airbnbs over here and a majority of folks were investing in real estate. Right. So it was pretty cool. We just kept an eye on the market. We kept an eye on the trends and we rode that wave. <laughs> That's great. I know you guys said it was a seller finance deal. Where did you guys get the 55K from? We, at the time, we pulled from my IRA. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And this was before we realized, before we really learned how to raise private capital. Um, and after that, it was pretty much private money just to gap all of our deals. But at the time, we just pulled from the IRA. Yeah, that's cool. And then, so that was the first deal. And then what happened after that? Did you guys, did you guys, I, I feel like you're, um, this is good. Uh, feel like your gears were turning and did you start thinking, wait, should we hold these or like, should we keep doing flip? Did, did that already go across your mind or not yet? Yeah, absolutely. So we were primarily doing fix and flip, fix and flip, selling these deals, like turn, you know, burning and churning. Right. And at some point we're, we're thinking to ourselves, wait a minute interest rates are low. These properties are going well over asking. We're getting multiple offers. We should be keeping some of these for ourselves. Maybe we should get into the short-term rental game. After all, for us, fix and flip was a form of raising capital to buy our buy and hold properties and build that long-term wealth. So at some point we just said, hey, we should probably start holding on to some of these properties, pick out our best ones and sell the rest. And that's, you know, that's when we started to, you know, instead shift over to a buy and hold model and then still continue to sell a few on the side. It was absolutely top of mind. And 
we we are we're so happy we did it because it made a lot of it makes a lot of sense now and looking back i wish we held on to more but we have four that we kept in our portfolio everyone says that right i wish we would have <laughs> held on to more man back in the yeah. day you know but for us dudes it was it was interesting because we we were so new in real estate and so everything that we had been learning from our mentors and coaches and everything that we had been reading was like okay you start off in your niche and then eventually you get enough capital to start holding on to these properties and then eventually you get into commercial right so it seemed like there was this natural progression that all real estate investors would take and so for us the idea of like holding on to property seemed so far away from us at the time because we were so new so we were like well we know this is what we want to do how can we do it like how do we figure it out and for us private money opm that was the key for really figuring it out and being able to scale and how long did it take? Uh, how many projects or months did it take for you to go from flipping to buying your first investment deal or buy and hold? Uh, I would say that was probably about a year. Okay. Uh, with the, our first property that we ended up converting to short-term rental, the, the plan was actually to flip it and sell it. Mm -hmm. So we acquired that, I think, in uh, early 2021. And when we decided to shift over to a short-term rental model, we, we worked on it pretty much all year long and then we launched it, I think, January of the following year. Yeah. So, yeah, simultaneously working on some other fix and flip projects. But that was the first one where we decided, hey, we're going to start to shift over, start to handpick a few to keep in our model. So just over a few months, I think it it just naturally happened because these were properties that we already had acquired and they were part of our portfolio as far as part of our fix and flip strategy. So we just decided to hold on to them and refinance and kind of go through that, that a little bit of different exit strategy, but we picked the ones that really worked for us. What was the deciding factor? Was it merely just timing or was it like, wow, this is the one I want to keep? Like what was the deciding factor? We we kind of fell in love with the property. I know you shouldn't, and we should be, you know, think of our object our, our investments very objectively, right? Um, but we saw the potential that this place had. It's such a cool, unique place in Joshua Tree. It was on two and a half acres. It had a very unique Spanish design. It was a newer property. So from what we had been learning about the short-term rental space, this property ticked all of the boxes. Like it, it was just spectacular. And so we ended up hiring a designer and we began consulting with her and we realized like this place is going to be really special. And we saw what other short term rentals, what other Airbnbs were doing in that area. And the cash flow was insane. So in addition to us liking the property and really loving it and being proud of our work, we knew what we could potentially make from it. So it was a no brainer for us to want to keep that one and have that one as our flagship. Um, that property is actually an international award winning vacation rental. It won the 2022 International Vacation Home Staging Design Award. So pretty cool. It, what was the first year gross that we did? Uh, I believe it was just under $120,000 in gross revenue um, in the first year. And then this year we're on track to do close to $140,000 in gross revenue for one property alone. And then what is like the expenses on that property? 
Uh, it's pretty, pretty pricey to run. Um, the expenses last month, I want to say were about $4,000, including um, our PITI, mortgage, supplies, all that good stuff. And we cash flowed. We ended up netting, I believe it was close to seven or $8,000 last month on that one property. So it was our most amazing month yet. But that's pretty good. I mean, you're still clearing like 50 grand a year easily. Oh, off this one? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's not even including tax benefits and mortgage pay down too. Right, right, right. How much did you put uh, put as a down payment? Was it 20%, 25? So we acquired that property with hard money and private. We gapped it with private money. Okay. So, yeah, so we ended up refinancing and we left a little bit of cash in the deal. Uh, I think, no, actually, yeah, we left a little cash in our deal from our private money lender. Mm -hmm. But um, so we so we ended up refining, getting a lot of that back through the value add. It worked out for us, but we still had to spend a little bit of money getting it set up, furniture, decor and all that. So we put about another like 30 grand in uh, after that. And yeah, I mean, it's it's been well worth it, as you can see. That's awesome. Did you guys pull all of the money out when you did the refinance? Or, uh, we pulled most of it out. Yeah, we pulled most of it out. So uh, because at the time when we acquired it, we planned to sell it and flip it. The mm -hmm. plan wasn't to, um, you know, burr it. Right. So yeah. we would have structured it that way um, if we could have up front. But we just cha we changed strategies. But we ended up working out really, really well for us. Um, we actually very successfully burred another property. I think, Andrew, you were just looking at Jackalope Cabin. That's the one that we talked about in our case study at the conference and that one we burred and got all of our money back and a little cash in our pocket. So it was, it was like the perfect burr we could have done. <laughs> infinite returns. Yeah. It's wild. The idea of infinite returns. It's such yeah. a concept. <laughs> yep. Love it. Yeah. And the power of OPM. Yeah. That's cool. Most definitely. So you bought that first deal all cash uh, with the intent of flipping it, decided to keep it, uh, fixed it all up and refied and, paid everyone back except for I think you kept a little bit in the deal with some private money Correct. right mm -hmm. Correct. That's yep. It. and how, how this is one house one house how many bedrooms and bathrooms it's uh officially two beds plus a den and two bathrooms <laughs> so we it only sleeps six which is crazy too because from everything we were learning, it was like heads and beds, heads and beds. You need to yeah. get as many people as your Airbnb as you possibly can. But in Joshua Tree, there was a few properties who flipped that model completely. And so there was these big, beautiful homes with very little people in them, two persons per bedroom. And so it's a different kind of feel. It's a different experience. Again, we knew who our target customer was going to be, who our target end guy was going to be. And we didn't want to appeal to a bunch of dudes coming to Joshua Joshua Tree to just have fun. We wanted to appeal to um, a little bit of an elevated crowd. I don't like calling our properties luxury because I, they're not luxury. They're, they're very nice, but I don't consider them, you know, the luxury space. But we knew who we wanted to market to. And that was an international crowd, um, a crowd that has a higher net worth, right? So that's why we went with the lower occupancy. So it sleeps six. Um, despite right. it being a 1,500 square foot house, it only sleeps six. That is insane that you're making that kind of income on a two bed that is i'm like upset right now <laughs> teach me your ways would you spend on uh like furniture and design like after the rehab what was like what was that like the, the, the designer and everything because we're actually for the first time or we're in escrow right now for the first time for our which will be our what is this now 10th and 11th 
unit. It's a duplex essentially. Uh, we're actually um, discussing with a designer, you know, budget and and all that. Because with this particular uh, rental, I want to go in a higher end market and a more of a. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I do want kind of a more luxury feel. And fortunately, the way it's already been renovated, it's already kind of like the foundation is there, minus a couple of little fixes, of course. Um, but what recommendations may might you give me? I'm kind of just trying to figure out like budget wise, like how do you, I don't know. It, give me, give me some freebies. <laughs> yeah. Some, some good stuff right here. I'll start. And then if you want to fill it up, For congratulations, sure. by the way, super yeah, exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so we've been tracking our setup costs on these different properties and on the low end, it's about $15 a square foot for furniture, decor, supplies, security technology. And then on the high end, we're like $20 a square foot. So it might be north of that for you on a luxury property, right? That's that's kind of where we're tracking is about $20 a square foot. As far as design goes, um, it just depends on what designer you're working with and how they charge. If it's a flat rate per, you know, per square foot or per hour. We paid our designer per hour. Um, I don't have those numbers in front of us, but as far as setup goes, we were spending about 12, or sorry, $20 a square foot on, on that property. So we put quite a bit into the decor and the furniture, but again, aiming for that more elevated feel and it really paid off. And you could get away with doing, you know, 10 to 12 bucks a square foot, right? But you're going to get furniture that is aligned, you know, in accordance with that. And that furniture is probably going to break really fast. And so if yep. you want to go for this luxury market, then everything matters. The, the the couch that people are sitting on, the way that the chairs feel when you scoot the chair up, right? Like all these little nuances add to the overall experience of the property. And people know, you know, right away, if you're sitting on something, whether it's from Wayfair or whether you got it from, you know, uh, uh, something Barn. like Pottery <laughs> Barn or West Elm or something like that. Mm -hmm. So we actually utilize Host GPO. We are not sponsored by them or anything like that. We've just worked with them in the past and it's been amazing. And What's so uh, Host GPO. Um, so essentially they offer wholesale discounts. You sign up with them. Memberships are typically free. And then you get wholesale discounts through them. And if you spend a certain amount, I believe it's $15,000 with them, then they actually provide extra services to help you design your short-term rental, to help order everything, to track everything. And they even have a white glove service where they'll come in and they'll install all of your furniture. They'll take away all of the trash which is incredible because one thing about short-term rentals is they generate so much freaking trash, like between the headboards, the mattresses, the all the artwork that you're buying, like everything. There's just a lot of trash. So Host GPO is phenomenal because, like I said, you can have a consultant who works with you and it takes uh, a lot of the work off of your plate. That's a huge pro tip because Thank you. you're, getting, you're getting access to major brands like Pottery Barn, West Elm, Brooklinens, all of the top article. suppliers article, and you're getting 30 to 50% off, which is insane. Wow. Yeah. So you need to 15 grand in the per door. Easy. Yeah. 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 So sign oh. up. We're huge fans. They they sell, I mean, you can get anything from the large furniture down to the tiny so, little soaps and supplies that you need all at home. Really? So everything from, do you guys do all your buying from that particular source or? Uh, 
majority, not a lot of it. A majority, not yeah, majority that and Amazon. We have our lists with Host GPO. We have our list right. with Amazon. There's a few other companies that do the same. Wayfair actually does the same. Um, I believe with Wayfair, you have to spend over 25000 or 20000 Um, And then there's another company called Minoan, and they do the same, very similar to Host GPO, where they offer wholesale discounts from everything from towels to soaps to your couch. How do you spell that? Um, Minoan is M-I-N-O-A-N, and then host GPO, just the letters GPO. Mm-hmm. They're wow. phenomenal, you guys. Cool They're approach, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. You're welcome. That's insane. That, is that how you're able to keep it down to around 15, 20 per square foot? or? Well, that- yeah, because furniture good furniture is not cheap and they usually have long long lead times so we learned very quick if you buy cheap furniture you're replacing it in six to eight months so host gpo lets us access high quality sometimes contract grade furniture for a reduced price and it's well worth the investment it's going to last you so much longer so we get a lot of our furniture from there and a lot of our our supplies and goods yeah Wow, that's awesome. I really appreciate that pro tip. That's huge. Yeah, yeah anything else you need, Andrew, you have questions about where to get a hot tub, what hot tub company works yeah. best or whatever. Happy to be a resource for y'all. More than happy. You guys are located in IE. Where do you guys live? Uh, and we're actually based out of Joshua Tree, Yucca Valley area. Originally from Pasadena, LA, uh, but now we're based out of Joshua Tree, Yucca Valley. Yeah, man, next time you guys come swing by Orange County, we got a bunch of stuff here. So we'll show you what we got going on. And we have some properties in uh, in San Bernardino Valley. What have we got? Mentone. We got a, uh, like four units. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. we got a, a proper. We had a duplex in Mentone that we purchased, and then uh, just had you know inherited just the worst tenants. If I'm being honest, <laughs> uh, kind of had to really remodel, regut. Not remodel, but we really had to redo. Actually, we did remodel the bathroom. Anyways, we really had to you know take the bull by the horn, spent some money to make some money, if you will. That back unit is now doing very, very well. I was kind of nervous. 31 day plus days, like, here we go. I hope this works out. Trying to figure out that price point. Got a great guest in there paying more than I was expecting. And um, we're going to plan on doing the front unit as well. We currently have a squatter in there. Full disclosure. Yeah, right. And yeah, it is what it is. Uh, we, I always like to tell everybody like, hey, real estate has changed my life for the better by far. Like in the past five years, like I'm not even in the same planet, um, which, you know, I'm super stoked. And I got to thank Vince, of course. He really helped lead the helm. He's just such a psycho for real estate. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I just have to deal with the management and all that. So my life is not that bad. But point is, is it's changed my game. But I love to talk about the woes. And we like to joke that we've had a squatter since we started, not the same one, because <laughs> everyone's everyone's jaw drops. They're like, "What?" I'm like, "Not the same squatter." But yeah, since we started, and we're getting smarter with that. Um, but point is, is we're planning on getting them out here in the next month. Uh, thank God, and uh, we're gonna get in there and do the same thing, and we're gonna turn what was a you know a bleeding source into what I think is going to be our most profitable property to date. So fantastic. So are you are you doing furnished finder finders on the 31 plus? Yeah, I so I I did furnished finder, I did Craigslist even, I did a um, couple other, and then I'm most familiar with Airbnb. Um, that's kind of how I market even my coaching, which is I'm an Airbnb coach. 
Because it's just, you know, it's, you get it. It's like the Kleenex of that world. So everyone kind of just knows it. It's got a sex appeal to it. You know, anyways, but I was actually trying these other platforms and believe it or not on Airbnb, boom, got sucked up pretty fast. They booked all the way from May 1st to August 19th. Wow. I was like, I landed the plane. I was so nervous, you know, but yeah, it worked out because it's an area that I, I didn't know it's Mintone. So I'm like, is there a market? This is, if you are, if you don't live in that area, you're going to be like, you guys are probably already thinking, wait, where's Mintone though? Like, what, what is that? You know? And I'm like, it's, it's the pink Redlands and then more outside. In the <laughs> it's like that town before the mountains. Wow. So, wow. Not to talk about me, this is about you guys, but, um, no, yeah, no. I mean, uh, it's it's been great and the the medium and short term has really helped us to kind of change up the cash flow game for us it's always been very tight um we look great on paper we've already done enough to change our families families lives which i'm super grateful for but as a business owner um i really am wanting the best of both worlds and i try not to even look at it as like you know okay well there's appreciation and tax write-offs I try to just shove that to the side and purely look at the cash flow. So to hear you guys doing on a two bed, one bath, I got to go, but two bed, two bath. I got to go back to that. Like, bravo. Like, so do you think the way you guys were able to really get that is because you just went so high end and so just like next level with your designs and your accommodations and probably the great mattresses. Like, what are you spending on mattresses? Like what's happening? (laughs) GPO has, they have hospitality grain mattresses that are only sold B2B and you have access to them through host GPO. FYI, that's a big plug. At the time, they didn't have them, but we we buy um, Lucid mattresses, which are actually not expensive. You can buy them on Amazon or on Lucid and we get reviews on them all the time. People love them. You don't need to spend a crazy amount. But yes, we knew up front that we were going to have to spend a lot more money than anticipated on this property to get it to the level that we wanted. Yeah. And it absolutely paid off. So any everything in that house is pretty much custom. We had our oh. business partner, Oscar, sourcing, you know, sourcing uh, sconces from Morocco, right? Like it was so, wow. so custom. That's and, cool. you know, we had added a beautiful custom metal front door. It was all part of the whole vision that our designer helped us execute on. But we had right. a spend lot more money than for example if we plan to just flip it and sell it we knew that up sure. front but we also knew exactly what we were going for yeah I, sorry go for it i was just gonna say real quick we're, we're pretty ambitious right and so we pulled a page from the flipping world with our comps so we knew okay these are the target average daily rates we want to shoot for these are the properties that are getting those rates how can we perform better than these properties? How can we look better than these properties? So we were constantly looking at comps and new comps were constantly coming out. We were saying, oh, these people are doing this and these people are doing this. So how can we make it even better? But that's because that was the standard in our market. Joshua Tree historically has been a very impoverished neighborhood, but with these Airbnbs and short-term rentals and with the national park, there's some stunning, absolutely stunning rentals out here. So we had to step it up. We're working with a client near Sedona, Arizona, and a lot of those properties are kind of like what Joshua Tree was four or five years ago, a little bit dated, um, a little bit kind of, you know, no grandma's furniture, just a little bit older cabinets, older design. So you don't necessarily have to over design in that market. We just know we have to beat the comps. We have to offer yep. a far better experience than the comps yep. are offering. 
That's, I mean, just to wrap what you're saying for anyone listening, you know, this is how I'm downloading this. You guys realize the simplicity of business. When you truly understand a business, it's very simple. Just under promise over deliver, you know, <laughs> like just, just crank out, like beat out everybody in terms of the value you're offering. And that's so great. It sounds to me like that's what you guys did. You just reached for that. And now here's the sweet part that it's a psychology thing, maybe just a business thing. I don't know that most people don't know unless they've been in business for a long time. Have you thought about investing in real estate and taking advantage of all of those benefits without any of the work? That is something that on the invest not only provides, but has been providing since its inception with friends and family. We have built an empire in a system of a wealth generating tool that is giving us and our friends and family that leverage in their life to create true wealth. Go to onvinvest.com for more to see if you qualify. And thanks for listening. Most people don't know unless they've been in business for a long time. For me, as a guitar teacher years ago to running businesses that I have now with Airbnbs and I still have a music school, I actually always tend to price a little higher. I have a VA and I told them, hey, make sure you're going into our price labs and you're actually going a little above the recommended because it changes the daily, keeps you fresh on SEO. It's a pro tip for everyone listening. Price mm -hmm. Labs is a game changer. It's why we stay booked. Um, but I'm always saying, cool, take that number and bring it up by five, 10%. Let's play with it. Let's see what, and here's why. Every time I've gone down in my price and I got desperate as a guitar teacher, as a Airbnb host, as a teacher, I would always attract those clients who weren't really ready to put in the work. Or would complain about, you know, every little thing and any little, whatever. And then with the Airbnb guests, I remember the first time, first time I was like, oh, well, let's just see what this is. And I lowered it. Like I really wanted to get a booking or whatever it was. Sure enough, they trashed the place. Mm -hmm. Trashed it. There was like a bong broken in this plastic or paper bag on the kitchen counter and just like mm -hmm. shredded toilet paper everywhere. They had like created like a, I don't even know what, I don't smoke weed, but Looks like they were smoking through the pillowcase. It was like black in one corner. Anyways. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, I was so yeah. mad. I, Cause I like, I like personally built a lot of the stuff in there, like put all of my soul into it for two weeks. Just correct. And so just to see it just disrespected, I was, my cleaner was like, Hey, it's not a big deal. We got this. And she was amazing. Uh, but I was like emotionally invested. Right. So I was like, how dare you? But I remember, you know what? That was my bad. That was on my, I, I forgot. You got to charge a little extra. You just tend to find those people who are willing to pay a little more, have a great stay, obviously deliver on it, but you are going to tend to attract those people who just stay, they check in, they check out, leave you a five star and you never hear from them again until they want to book again. And that's like the dream. So the fact that you guys had the vision to know that and to know that's your target and then go for and then be okay with like that risk of spending the extra dollar to deliver on it is awesome. I love these kind of success stories. Thank you, bro. Thank, Thank you. So and you know, it's paid off. The average occupancy rate in Joshua Tree is now 60%, I believe, 61%. Um, our rentals right now are performing at an average of 84%. And wow. that's 
going into our low season, which is the summertime. It's hot as hell out here in the desert. And so, our, like I said, we're at an 80, like low to mid 80s right now. Oh. Um, so we're continuously outperforming the competition because of that. That's amazing. I cannot wait to snoop and look at all your listings and just try to <laughs> steal what you got going on, man. I, but I do hear Joshua Tree. I, I I don't know where I heard this from, but I've heard it from a couple of different sources now. I hear it's getting saturated. And what's going on with that? Can you comment on that? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I hear that about mostly every market, but I talk to folks who are interested in short-term rental. Fair point. Fair and point. I think what it what it really means is you just have to be better that there's a huge demand in these markets. So in Joshua Tree, there's a huge, huge demand. Big Bear California is another one, right? And I'm guilty of it too. I'm like, oh, dude, market saturation, market saturation. I think what's really just happening is people are... One, everyone knows about Airbnb. Everyone knows about short-term rentals now. Now it's an actual option, right? Historically, you had two options. You had hotels or you had Airbnbs, right? And so I think what's happening is people are saying the market's getting saturated because you have poor performing operators. You have people who do not invest in design. You have people who do not think of who my target customer is. Who do I really want renting my property? You have people that maybe they have a W-2 and they heard on a podcast or they heard somewhere on an Instagram story that you can offset a bunch of your income by having a short-term rental. So really, we had a flood of these types of people enter into the market, enter into Joshua Tree, and pretty much every other market that I talk to about people who are interested in short-term rentals. So I think what's happening is a lot of people are starting to get freaked out. A lot of people are starting to lower their prices, like we just talked about, because of the sheer number of listings that are popping up. But in my opinion, it's totally okay because the individuals like us, like you guys who treat this like a business, who have systems in place, who have operations in place, who that leads to consistency in your rental and the overall experience that you offer, then you're still going to outperform the competition just like we're doing now. Now, obviously, it's not a guaranteed. I'm not saying, yeah, guaranteed. You just got to do this, this, and this, and you'll be good. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But there is a formula that you could follow. There are methods that you can follow to continuously outperform your competition, even in markets that are, quote unquote, saturated. And then lastly, there's always the seasonality piece, right? There's variability in occupancy rates among all markets. I mean, I, I think there's a few metro markets I know of that I study that have very high occupancy rates year round. But with metro markets, right, regulations could change at any second. And then all of a sudden you lose your listing, like what happened in New York City, where they lost 10,000 Airbnb listings. So yes, there is this idea of saturation. Yes, there is this big rush towards short-term rentals. But I don't think it's a bad thing, like I said, because as long as we're doing what we do and we, we do what we can to operate a legitimate business to operate a high performing business, then we should be putting systems in place to constantly stay ahead of the competition. So with our rentals, we're constantly evolving. So even though we started off appealing to this uh, more luxurious type client, an international style client, I recently just added high chairs, um, I recently added a pack and play crib. I recently added baby toys, baby cutlery, baby plates, so that now we could appeal to families. Because I did notice a little bit dip in our occupancy rate, we quickly pivoted and I quickly added more amenities to continue to draw more people into our rentals. That's great. 
I'm really quick on the topic of, of demand. If you guys looked at the 2023 outlook report from AirDNA, even though the revenue at the average national revenue and occupancy has gone down, it's still up from pre-pandemic levels. And um uh it has it's gone up from pre-pandemic levels and demand is still growing. Um, it's going trending upward over the next few years. So again, the pandemic was such a big anomaly, but still the demand is outpacing. Um, you know, it's basically outpacing the number of listings coming on the market. Again, every market is very, very different, but overall, we're still seeing a, a positive trend in demand versus supply in the market. Yeah, so it's essentially saturated with terrible hosts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sound and like hosts, and the hosts that are the hosts Great that for are us. Cool. <laughs> no, you guys are going to be good, man. The hosts that are doing well, ideally, you should still have a successful, profitable business. You know, it's just it's a it's a method you follow. A thousand percent, yeah. And I think a lot of the money, uh, a lot of the big changes and big jumps people's lives in terms of business is always in those like, oh, it's a downturn or oh, it's saturated. Um, I mean, our last guest just literally had that like nice little quote for her. That's so great what you just said, though, man. Um, and that's something that I had kind of echoed to Vince a little while back. It's like, yo, dude, there's it's crazy sad. How many listings around our listings are still listed with a cell phone photo? Mm. You know, it's like I was really not concerned at all taking these risks and launching our listings, despite, I mean, a year ago is when we started, by the way, which is crazy, last March. Wow. So there's all that talk of saturation and regulation, and there's all these challenges now. And I was like, cool, I'll just make sure that I am over delivering and I'll be just fine. And then then assessing the competition, I did the same thing where I actually would skip AirDNA altogether and I do the nitty gritty work of like, all right, well, let's just peel it open and look at it as a guest. And in fact, I myself purposely don't stay in hotels when I travel. Um, I'll go into an Airbnb, usually something about moderately priced, um, I guess in the middle, if you will, and hmm. just see what's going on. And I will tell you something that's very interesting. Maybe I'm not like splurging a lot to get those high-end luxury stays. Maybe it would be a different experience. I don't know. But in my travels for the past year, I've noticed that the communication level of hosts has been about a 0%. <laughs> wow. What do you mean? 0%. Do you yeah. mean you're just, the host is not responsive to you? Not responsive. You're oh my God. Besides like another little automated like message or whatever, you know, like a canned something. Yeah. Non-responsive. Oh I've yeah. heard that too. And I've heard that especially with, uh, you know, there's a few key players in the property management space that take, you know, have a national reach, right? These huge, huge players. And I've heard that with those, uh, with people who stay at rentals that are managed by those people. But now I'm starting to hear it from people, uh, just average everyday hosts who manage rentals. And for me, it's such a scary thing because... If um, an outside person or just like a regular individual off the street books an Airbnb for maybe the first time or the second time, and they have that type of experience, they're going to think Airbnb sucks. They're going to think every time I 
stay in Airbnb, it's going to be like this. So there's a lack of consistency. And that's where the hotel space has us beat. Because when you stay at a Holiday Inn, when you stay at a Marriott, when you stay at a Hyatt, you know exactly what you're going to get. It may not be the nicest place. It may be tired and outdated, but you know that it's consistent. And so when I hear of hosts like this, I'm like, oh, do better, y'all. Like, please do better. Call me. I will help you become a better host because... For me, it's, I take this personal because every time, I, I believe TJ Tajani said this, he said, every time we lose uh, a guest to a hotel, we've lost them forever. Like yep. once someone decides, you know what, Airbnb sucks. I've had too many bad experiences. That's it. We've lost them. And that's a collective disservice to every host out there. Thousand percent. Yeah, man. And that's that's something that I've, I've really noticed is it's just like <clears throat> with all things. This sounds very cynical, but I'm just going to state it as someone who's about to be 37 and have been running my own business since I was like eight. I was literally like selling drawings, like coming home with my mom's like, are you bullying kids? By the way, I'm a buck 60 soaking wet as a grown ass man right now. <laughs> I was never a big kid. So I'm like, mom, you think I'm bullying kids? I was like really confused. She's like, yeah, how are you coming home with this money? It was like four bucks or whatever. And I had to, well, I have these little drawings and I would just draw Looney Tunes and like, you know, totally copyright infringement, <laughs> but, but I was always hustling. Right. The point is, is where I'm getting at is I'm going to talk, talk about me. I'm trying to talk about the fact that I just basically would make sure that I was just present, that I was just at least bringing a standard to the game that was above average. That was it. Just showing up, communicating. So like you just said, Hey, call me. Like, I'll help you, which is just the sweetest thing you could say. I will tell you in advance, you're going to be wasting your time. Because if these people aren't even picking up the phone to message guests, they've mm. already checked out. There are, let them die. Mm. On, that, Fair. on that point, do you guys know how much more revenue a super host gets, gets versus a non-super host? Do you guys happen to know? I don't know that stat. Is it like 20% or something? Yeah, I read it somewhere and it might not be exact, but... 15% of hosts are super hosts and they get on average 24% more revenue. Yeah. So, you know, just the basics of being responsive, being hospitable, you know, going the extra mile just to, just to accommodate your guests, it can, it will reflect in your ROI. So it just yep. blows my mind. Like you said, that some people don't even do the most basic fundamental things expected from a host. But and let me let me just tell everybody who's thinking about becoming a host. <clears throat> if you research what it takes to become a super host and you feel like that's intimidating or you can't achieve that, this is not your industry. That bar is not that high. Not it's not. All, not at all. It's even lower on VRBO. <laughs> oh, is it really? To be a premier host, it's even easier to be a premier host on VRBO than it is to be yeah. a super host on Airbnb. But that's a great point. If you are already looking at super host status and be like, huh, that's hard, then just stop. Don't even Not for you. or hire a property management company. Sure. Do your diligence. Yeah. Make sure you run your numbers good enough so you could afford to have property management. And that way you can really check out, but still offer a solid experience. We actually utilize property management in the very beginning. And I think that was a huge, huge, huge factor as to why I'm, you know, I manage all of our short-term rentals. We all have our own unique roles in the business. And I was essentially a student. I mean, I'm a lifelong student of real estate, short-term rentals, just life in general, but I truly studied our 
property managers. I studied how they communicated. I studied how they responded. I studied how they wrote listing descriptions. And I learned, oh, this is how you manage properties. And then eventually, after a few months, then we realized, hey, I could totally do this. We could take it on our own. But I just smart. That's smart, man. Yeah, because they communicate on your behalf on the platform so you can see how they do it. That's brilliant. Correct. So I shadowed the pros for as long as I could. And anytime the messages would come in, I would just take a look and be like, oh, wow. Or someone would ask a question. I'd be yeah. so nervous. Right. When you first have your first, your first <laughs> short term rental, like I was checking the cameras every few hours, yeah, yeah. checking our calendar every <laughs> yeah. few hours. I was like looking at everything they would say. But I learned I, I learned from them and it was amazing. And so if folks do not want to manage themselves and they don't have the time, there's plenty of property management companies that are now co-hosting co-hosting is huge right like junior property managers and there's a bunch of there's a whole industry of individuals who are looking to co-host other people's properties as well so you don't have to take it on and do all the work yourself do you guys want another pro tip i don't know if you guys do this already but uh david just launched a email campaign he collected email addresses from all past guests and he has he has them on a drip email campaign inviting them back for direct booking and with discounts and different, uh, different, uh, I guess, suggestions for activities in the area. And it's a direct booking link to all of our properties. Capture those emails, extend the lifetime value of that customer. And you're going to start to see, you're going to start to really like see more results on the direct booking side. So he just launched that. Collect email addresses if you guys can. And our rentals are not hurting. I just told you guys the average occupancy right. rate in Joshua Tree and that and our average occupancy rate. But again, these are just things that I'm doing to stay ahead of the competition. Yep. I'm obsessed with real estate. I'm obsessed with short-term rentals. I love listening to as many people talk about it as I can. Hey. This is one thing that I heard was, hey, there's a huge shift to direct booking. So how do we get people on direct booking? And the email campaign has been a phenomenal way. It took me I don't know, maybe a total of four hours, maybe five hours to set everything up. I used ChatGPT to do a majority of the writing for me. Mm-hmm. And I just went in there and edited it, but ChatGPT got it 80% done. So mm-hmm. in addition to letting our past guests know about the, the discounts and the type of uh, properties we have in our portfolio, I also find key things about Joshua Tree. So like the summertime is a great time to view the Milky Way galaxy. So I have an email that's like five tips for viewing the Milky Way and Joshua Tree. And at the end, my call to action is, hey, check out our direct booking link and then book with us. As a matter of fact, here's a coupon code for 10% off for being a returning guest. So again, these things that we do to constantly run this like a true business. That is brilliant on so many levels and the business major over there on your right side, I'm (laughs) sure she's contributing. Like as a business owner, I'm like, yeah, that checks every box. That's amazing. Like you're like, cool. How can we provide more value to get value from them and 15% off? My question to you is, and maybe I'm just, I've only been doing it for a year. I think I'm pretty damn good at it, but I've never seen an email come through. How are you capturing the emails? Yeah. So through, there's a few ways, um, but my primary way is through our property management software. I use Hostfully. And Hostfully has something called, and a lot of different property management platforms are starting to do this. They have something called a pre-arrival form or like a rental conditions form. And this Mm -hmm. form is to be completed before the guests receive their check-in instructions. Oh, 
on that form, I ask for people's emails. I just ask them. I say, hey, please list the name and email of every single guest who's staying. And then I have I have my VA at the end of each week just go through. He reviews all those forms, adds all those contacts to our CRM, and then puts them in the correct pipeline to see where they're at, whether that's a pre-stay, the, the actual stay itself, or post-stay. Once the guests are move over to post-stay, then that triggers the automatic email campaign to start. And guests, our past guests, receive a total of 12 touches um, over a nine-month period. And there's Wi-Fi networks that collect that yeah, kind of thing too? Yeah, so the second one is StayFi. StayFi is um, uh, like a third-party company that you'd sign up for. And essentially, it's uh, like Wi-Fi management. So anytime anyone wants to sign on to the Wi-Fi, they'll be prompted to input their information, much like Starbucks or much like Hilton or Hyatt or something like that. <laughs> so guests are used to this. It's not The pre-arrival form is a little different. I do get a little pushback, if I'm being quite honest. Guests saying, well, why do I have to fill out this information? Or, you know, why do I have to input my government ID? I'm already a verified individual, right? So I do get a little pushback. So if I'm being quite honest, I think StayFi um, would be the way to go. But there is a cost associated with that. So to keep our costs down, I elected to go with the pre-arrival form for now, um, as opposed to StayFi. But StayFi is another amazing option to capture all guests' email because everyone's going to want to use the Wi-Fi. And what is StayFi? Um, it's a third-party company um, that you sign up for, and it integrates with your Wi-Fi. So anytime a guest, any guest wants to sign on for the Wi-Fi, they'll be prompted via their web browser to input their go. name and email address and then click like, you know, I agree to the terms of conditions of using this Wi-Fi or whatever. Gosh, you should start getting sponsorships, all these companies. I know. I actually just started. I just started like the referral programs with all these different companies. Nice. I email them and I'm like, hey, I'm a user of your guys' platforms, your guys' software. I use them daily. Here are some things that I think can be approved on. And believe it or not, sometimes they will contact me back and I'll sit down on a Zoom with their product development people for 30 minutes, an hour. She does the same thing. PostGPO actually did yeah, it with us. And we'll go through it and we'll say, hey, these are, these are the things awesome. that I love. These are things that help me out as a business owner, but you guys can really improve on this, this, and this. And so after doing that, then they'll contact me and be like, hey, this was really cool. Do you want a referral link? And I'm like, hell yeah, I want a referral link. There we go. Money on money. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Well, send me those referral links. I'll definitely use it, especially with anything you mentioned. I definitely am excited looking to host GPO as we're like in escrow, closing soon on a, a duplex. Um, Lucid Mattress, I've made a note of, StayFi. Um, I'm going to look into, so I use Hospitable. I'm going to look into that and see what I can do. It might even suffice to even just maybe have like an automated message just to ask them, hey, I don't know if Airbnb might frown on that, but I guess if you word it well enough, you can say, hey, you know, send us your email or maybe I leave a form there that my cleaner can collect each time that has an email. Hospitable. Hospitable. Sorry, I use hospitable. Yeah. Yeah. From what I understand, hospitable does have a pre-arrival form option. Oh. Um, so look into that message hospitable, ask them, be like, Hey, how, how can I collect guests email before I also ask for, um, 
uh, guest IDs as like a pre-screening measure, right? Because the way I see it, you need to show an ID if you're getting on a plane. You need to show yep. an ID if you're renting a car. So yep. if you're going to rent my home, then I want to see your ID. And yep. people, again, they kind of fight me on that. Not fight me, but they they question me. They say, hey, sure. how come I need to show my ID? And I just remind them exactly what I just said now. Just, nice. uh, you know, I need multiple ways to protect ourselves. And as you may or may not know, California has some loose laws regarding tenants. And so I just ask that everybody please provide this. Thank you so much. Smiley face. Always smiley Um, face. uh, Yeah, always. Yeah. (laughs) Always smiley face. Another one, um, you mentioned mattresses. The Helix Hospitality Mattress is another very affordable mattress. Through um, Host GPO. That you get through Host GPO. And people literally leave it in the comments regularly. Like the mattresses are amazing. Mattresses are amazing. We use those at at our Palm Springs Hotel. And we actually stayed in them and they're they're very, very nice, especially for the price. You get a massive discount. Yeah, but ask hospitable about the pre-arrival form. Don't do it through Airbnb because Airbnb actually yeah. blocks you from sending I- emails. So like I'll ask a guest or sometimes a guest, they'll be pretty privy and they'll be like, hey, um, what do I get? I get like, you know, hey, are there any other options you know, for booking this, right? Guests are starting to get pretty smart. Mm-hmm. They're starting yeah. to be aware that there's especially other, other hosts. I get that from other hosts a lot. Yes. All the time. All the now, time. Our thing is is we don't have that extra. I like that air cover. It's like, you know, like it's a million dollar policy. I like that. So I sleep at night knowing that no matter what. But do you guys have separate coverage on all your listings? So if you go around that, you're still covered. How does that work? Uh, separate coverage. No, I mean, just our standard like vacation rental policies, really. And um, I know there are options for adding additional insurance per stay, but there's a cost associated with it. We don't opt into that now, but I mean, we don't really add anything else. No. So I, I toyed around with the idea a little bit. And so there are other companies out there that offer additional protection. Um, one of the companies I was looking at, um, I forget the name of it. They're all kind of have similar names in the hospitality industry now, but it was just a little difficult because, uh, in order to like insure us, uh, for a little over a million dollars, I think it was 1.125. There was a cost associated with that. Right. And it was quite expensive. And so I would have had to figure out a way to divide that cost amongst all of the guests that month. And so I'll revisit this to see if they have a little bit easier way to do it, but it was just an added layer. It was more work for me. So I was like, you know what, we're okay with our existing policies and then we're okay with air cover as well. Got it. So if you do decide to launch into this, like just purely through your email, your own uh, marketing, if you will, you guys are covered if someone like falls into a hole and like snaps their ankle or something. You guys are covered. Yeah, that's homeowners policies that tip- typically for like a vacation rental policy, which by the way, you want it to be specifically a vacation rental policy. Right. You have like things like premises liability, general. You liability. have it. Okay. Got yeah. It. And also if, if you have it in LLC, get umbrella insurance, all those extra sure. things to cover you for really any incident. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. If you guys have a particular, uh, insurance provider you know let me know i'll introduce you to my yeah. favorite broker yeah. awesome yeah. i appreciate that you know Sorry, how this i just realized we've been you know how you guys uh, sometimes people go on tangents you guys are on such a tangent we're on mars right now <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah it's like so i'm gonna bring it back to something because i still want to get to your story and you know like uh just so people can follow because this will be this is like very advanced stuff you guys are talking about like people are going to be like bro 
you guys talking about how to buy $10 million of real estate, I need to buy one. Right. <laughs> so, so I wanted to go back to, uh, but, but great points though is, is really useful for, especially for Drew and, and people who are already in the business will be really interesting. And also people who are not in it will kind of realize like, okay, this is a really, yeah. you know, complicated and you might want to partner with someone. So I wanted to ask you on your structure. So did you structure based on debt or equity in the beginning? And do you have uh, either? Uh, you for all our acquisitions, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was all always debt. You know, okay. um, only we would always structure it. You know, we would buy our properties distressed always because we love the value add. We love the discounted mm -hmm. price point. So we would buy our properties hard money, gap with private money. So all debt. And then in some recent cases, we started to offer some equity. Um, on the cash flow side. So let's say we kept the private money lender on board. Maybe we refied, we keep them in the deal. Now we're offering a percentage of, of the cash flows, right? So more recently, we started to do some more equity and like JV type stuff. But majority of the time, it's been debt. And the reason for that is because if we're structuring the deals correctly, we can, you know, pretty, pretty much keep that equity in house and really preserve our wealth for as long as possible. But also, you know, being open to an opportunity to JV with people where we think there's a lot of value in the partnership. But we we like to be very selective about who we work with because, as you know, a partnership is a marriage. Right. But we are recently uh, starting to do that. The hotel is something that we partnered with with a new group. And it's been it's been awesome. So we're definitely open to partnerships in the future. And then for the, um, then when you do equity, do you just put them on title as tenants in common? How do you guys add them? Uh, typically, we have not done, we haven't purchased any properties like uh, with tenants in common or anything that's sharing actual title or ownership of the property. It's more on the profit share side. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, we literally, one of our partners is like, I don't want to own property in California. I like the cash flow. I'll, I'll stay in on that, but they don't want to have, <laughs> they don't want to have anything to do with the actual ownership in the property. So we haven't actually purchased a deal where we're sharing in the equity other than the hotel on the single family side. Um, it's really been more on the profit share that, that we're bringing in partners. That is very interesting because uh, you guys are going to get a huge tax uh, benefit and they're going to get taxed as hell because you're going to give them 1099s or K1s, right? So they right. will not have any depreciation to offset any of their income. And for you, it is a big benefit. Plus, you kept uh, get to keep the equity upside. So it's very different than the models that Drew and I do, where we only do uh, equity-based partnerships. And they're able to pull it off, though, because yeah. of the cash flow. Because of the cash flow, yeah. So, I mean, I would love to keep all of the equity of our deals and yeah. just have so much cash flow where you're just like, hey, take it. Yeah. But that was, uh, what, what is that? Sorry, Amanda. No, go ahead. Now, I was going to say, like, like you guys mentioned, you know, we also only partner with like um, very uh, close people and friends and family, basically like Drew's mom, my sister. So we don't mind sharing our equity. So because it's all family for us. So right. that's and friends, you know, but very typically close friends, yeah. as of late, especially for this last two deals now, this one restaurant and the last one closed. It's been like people yeah. have been coming to our meetups who have been coming for a year or more, who really, you know, we built a relationship with and. We, we we can kind of test them and and uh, we know that they're they're legitimate and they're great people and because it is it's a marriage it's a yeah. partnership and um who you partner with is huge you know so. yeah yeah and one thing that I will say that we've learned is however you structure your partnerships but especially with profit share you want to have uh, a term in, in built into your agreement 
You don't want that partnership to be in perpetuity. You want to be able to buy them out or end, end the partnership, you know, recapture that equity or that cash flow for yourself. So always have a term, whether that's one, two, three years where you check in and you're like, okay, is this, is this a mutually beneficial relationship? Should, do they want to exit the deal? Do we want to buy them out? Do we want to cash out, refi, pay them off, recapture everything, right? You want to make sure that it there is a term in your agreement because some people, we've talked to friends who have forgotten about that part and like, oh shoot, they have 50% of cash flows in perpetuity and we didn't really build anything into the agreement where we have uh, a termination point, right? So it's just, just uh, something to keep in mind there as well. Yeah, that's a good point too. Always have an exit strategy. You always have an exit. Um, you know, based on you know Drew and I's situation, because we really like partnerships. So he's very heavily involved with all the operations. He's the guy. I don't even know the lock to get into my back of my house, which is an Airbnb he runs. I don't. I don't even know. So that's <laughs> that's how involved I am in operations, and I do most of the acquisitions and like bigger picture stuff. So I wanted to ask you guys, like, what is the individual strengths that you guys bring? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think we we knew our individual strengths from the beginning and we stuck to those as best we could. And I think that's uh, that system is what helped us to really scale. So on the flipping side, I was in charge of marketing lead generation because I come from an anthropology background. So I love talking to people. I had interview experience before, being able to ask people questions, being able to build relationships and trust with people. So I was great for the marketing and lead generation side. Yeah. And I've, uh, with my, I have an engineering and a business background. So the acquisitions and finance side really made sense for me. So I really lean heavily into our team's underwriting, our offer process, um, you know, raising all of the capital, doing a structuring, all of our deals, our financing, getting them to close. And then our third partner, Oscar happens to have a 10 plus year background in, in um, construction management. So he was mostly on the commercial side, managing multi-million dollar projects. And naturally, he he became our pretty much our project manager. He was overseeing all of our renovations. And then, you know, if there was a sale, he would oversee our sales process, oversee our agents. And then when we started adding short-term rentals to our to our portfolio, um, you know, David, David has a little bit of property management experience and he became the natural kind of option to start managing our properties. And obviously yeah. it's, it's a great it's a decision because he's crushing yeah. it. Yeah. It's so that's how, that's how we flow though. That's the, the very distinct roles and responsibilities. That's, that's awesome guys. I want to hit um, how you went from uh, four units to the hotel. But before that, I wanted to ask you guys, you know, for us, the biggest benefit has come from growing is from talking to different people, like going to fortune builders or uh, bigger pockets and like uh, RPM with Amy, all those things. So how do you think that has affected your perspective in the business? Because it's not easy for engineering. Like I'm an engineer too, like Amanda. So I still have my day job. It's every day I spend time with the engineers. It's they're, they're, they live in a different, you know, like world. So I want to see, uh, I want to hear your story of how meeting these people has changed your perspective in, uh, in the business. Yeah, I, I, you want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. So for me, Vince, it shows me what's possible, right? Yeah. Like being able to connect with people 
on a personal level and physically hear them and meet them and shake hands with people who are like, yeah, I own this. Yeah, I bought this. And then even in the beginning, going to networking events and things like that, I was a little bit shy at first, right? Like what value do I have to bring to these people? So I would listen a lot and I would listen to these people talk about these deals. And I was like, my gosh, this is possible. Like if these guys are doing it, these guys are taking down these deals, then we can too. So for me, it was the the proximity to individuals who are already in real estate was huge. It was powerful. And then that really just changed my mindset to, again, show us that we can do this. We can totally do this. Yeah, seeing it's or, possible is nice. It's reassuring. Yeah. Like this guy's doing it. He's younger than me, you know? Yeah. yeah right. And for I think for me, it was about compressing time. Right. Like what we would have learned on our own over 10 years, you probably compressed into two, three or four years because of the programs that we signed up for, because of the people we were exposed to, the systems that they shared with us. Right. I'm going to give you an example. We were, you know, we were doing very, very little in 2020. We were still learning real estate. We were getting deals, but we didn't know how to fund them. We joined RPM, shout out to Amy. Uh, we joined her program and she put systems in place for us. We compressed that time, that learning curve. And we between that, I think October of 2020 and the following May, we raised a million dollars in, in gap funding. So just having access to those systems where people already know how to do it successfully really, really um, catapulted our business and just like really allowed us to do unlimited deal flow. So just like being around these people and getting exposure to their systems and what works for them, it's just really about compressing time and, and scaling so much faster. Yeah, we're really coachable. Like if you tell us what to do, we'll do it, right? Like, and so being in these programs, being in proximity to mentors, to other individuals in the space, other individuals doing deals that we wanted to do, again, we would just listen. What are they doing? And then emulate what they would do. So our mentors would give us a list of things to do and we'd go out and do it and it's paid off. So since um, October, 2020, we've raised a little, uh, just almost three and a half million um, in private capital to date. That's crazy. What What was the biggest takeaway that you guys learned from Amy that you were able to raise uh, three and a half million in like three years? You know, honestly, and it may sound so simple, but it's so key is I was doing a lot of the capital raising for our team and I was learning a lot of systems up front. The most important thing was building confidence. If you have, if you demonstrate that confidence with a private prospective private money lender, that really, really goes a long way. Preparation is always going to outpace the fear, right? So having those systems in place, knowing what to say, how to structure a deal, what paperwork to give to a lender, what to say during a presentation, all of those things are building confidence to get in front of more people. And the more people you get in front of, the higher chance you have of converting them to a private money lender. So literally the most, I think the common thread was having the confidence to approach more and more people and also learning how to reach them in a very, very creative way. That's what I love about Amy. It's not, it's not her program's not like very, very cookie cutter and how you raise money. She has a very, very cool and creative approach to how you reach more people to to grow your business and grow your private money lender list. 
So we share an office, right? Like we're next to each other all the time. And so she's been the prime primary capital raiser. So she was constantly doing these presentations, presenting to people, presenting to people, presenting to Hundreds people. Hundreds of times. <laughs> in multiple languages, right? She even found a translator and got a presentation done in Cantonese, I believe it was. And we ended up securing that person for a couple hundred thousand dollars, which is pretty cool. But for me, one thing that I realized after hearing her present over and over and over and over again was we're not asking anybody for anything. We're truly presenting opportunities for individuals to earn a crazy good return, returns that they're not getting elsewhere. And at first I had heard this, right? Amy teaches us, you don't ask for anything. You don't ask for anything. You're providing opportunities. But it didn't really click with me until we had done a few deals and until we started paying private money lenders back their interest for literally doing pretty much nothing but a few clicks and filling out some information and signing a check afterwards. So for me, the biggest flip was we don't ask anyone for anything. All we do is present opportunities for individuals to earn double-digit returns backed by real estate with a protected, secured, and insured asset. Who wouldn't want that opportunity, right? Like that's that's our mindset now is like, we know exactly what we could provide for folks. And that for me, gives me the confidence to go out and talk to individuals and go out and raise money. Because like I said, I truly believe in what we're doing. So um, I know Amy's big thing is not using friends and family. So who are these people? Just taxi drivers, people you meet at Whole Foods, everyone? Yeah, it's the the number. It, they come from everywhere. Um, I actually think friends and families are a really great place to start because you have your first tier network and then your second and third. A lot of times your first tier network, like friends and family, are going to be introducing you to a much broader second tier network. Mm -hmm. And usually that's where we get a ton of our private money lenders, right? So um, we have private money lenders who family, friends, uh, old coworkers, complete strangers. A big part of our business now comes from referrals. And that's from other people who trust and know our process and they refer private money lenders to us. And by the way, we pay finders fees, right? So I those are- I was going to ask, is there you know, yeah. program? Nice. Yeah, we exactly. Find, we pay fine. We offer finders fees as a thank you for helping us grow our business. Right. So that's a huge incentive for people. Our current private money lenders refer people to us, too, because they love lending with us. They see us paying them after every deal. They love our systems. They love our they love working with us. So, uh, you know, I the way I see private raising private capital is you market for them for private money lenders. You work on converting them. And the other two parts that a lot of people forget is the, you, the retention. You want to work on retaining them and then referring. You want to get your current private money lenders to start referring business to you. Though people forget the last two steps. And those are really important because that's just going to keep the, the private money lender list growing and growing much faster. Yeah. Again, really, you guys are echoing really sound like business principles, even though this is a real estate discussion, it's real estate business. That's great. You guys are tight as a drum. I'm going to assume that you guys already had a bunch of money lined up even before you were confident enough to go into the hotel. Or how did you guys do that? Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy story. We, by the way, we never we never actually looked to get into a hotel. We were we were just planning on growing our short term rental portfolio. But we met our business partners, shout out to them. They're awesome. We met them actually through the short-term rental space in Joshua Tree. 
and they approached David with an opportunity to get into this hotel and partner. And the reason for that is they're they're amazing on the um, property management operations side and branding and marketing. And they saw our skills on the front end, right? Raising capital, um, ma uh, managing design and construction. So they brought us into this deal and we're thinking like, how are we going to do a hotel deal? $3 million purchase. This is unlike anything we've ever done. How the hell are we going to do it? So for us, it was a massive leap, but we it made sense to do it. And people have asked us, why are we moving from short-term rentals to hotels? And there's really two reasons. It's regulations and scalability. Regulations in the commercial space are very different. And now we're scaling so much faster. Obviously, we have... Um, you know, the efficiency of multiple properties, multiple units with one single property, right? So that's what helped us kind of segue into the commercial space. And it's it's been really, really interesting. I will say we definitely underestimated. We thought it was just going to be one big short-term rental. It's not quite that. It's so much more. But we pulled a lot of our expertise from the short-term rental space into the hotel space. And like we're very, very happy with the final product. Yeah, and we raised a little over a million dollars um, debt to get into the deal. So we didn't have a bunch of cash just laying around <laughs> to, to throw it at a hotel. I mean, eventually, that's what we will have. We will have a ton of cash so we could throw it in these, park it in these different assets. But we just used the same methodology that we had been doing before with purchasing properties, distressed assets, adding a ton of value in them, and then refinancing and launching them as a short-term rental, or in this case, a hotel. It was essentially the same thing, except rather than it being a single family home, it was now a 10-key boutique hotel with an extra comma and a couple of extra zeros. Yeah. Why, yeah. And why people ask why debt versus equity. Most people maybe would have tried to syndicate something this large, but we said, Hey, you know what? If we have, if the, the, the deal allows us to structure the construction funds as debt, right? We will keep all of the equity in house, all the control. And we don't have any, we don't have to really worry about any um, investor relations other than obviously our private money lenders then let's do it, right? And it worked. So we closed We closed with a bridge, commercial bridge loan, about 70, 75%, 72%. And then we raised the construction fund, all of our interest and holding costs from private money lenders, about 1.1 million. So the plan is when we're refining this year, we pay them all off, equity is 100% ours. That's awesome. Wow, great play. What were some of the growing pains? I'm kind of interested. I can already probably guess some, but like, what were some of the like, oh, we didn't see that coming. It's from from SFRs, rentals to the 10 unit, one building. Obviously, you know, your team has to expand your cleaners and stuff. But what else? Some of those yeah. things. I think the biggest growing pain specifically for the hotel was just like hotel operations. We originally thought, okay, let's get this 10 key boutique hotel and we'll throw it up on Airbnb and folks can just buy out this whole hotel. But as we were going through and, you know, rehabbing it, we realized, especially our partner realized like, Hey, we're, we can have a much better product if we treat it like a true hotel, which that brings in food and beverage, that brings in daily turns, which is something that we're not used to in the short-term rental space, right? Um, so for me, the, the biggest kind of growing pains were just realizing what it takes to actually operate a hotel. Uh, our partner and I, man, I think we looked at towels for probably about four hours. Just towels. <laughs> 
like literally like researching how many towels do hotels need? How do they wash them? What kind of quality of the towels were, right? So the biggest thing was um, really just like the operations of a hotel and learning that whole side of things, what food and beverage can do, what concierge can do. That was a a totally different ballgame for us. And on the front end where, you know, that's my wheelhouse, the financing and the underwriting is very different commercial type loans versus like a single family loan. It's very, very different. You're going from evaluation using like sales comparisons to now looking at cap rates. What's your projected NOI? It's a very, very different way to underwrite a loan, different requirements, you know, liquidity, credit, you know, credit scores. They're looking at what's your experience as sponsors of the deal. It's very, very different for compared to the short-term rental side, right? Insurance requirements, very, very different. So all of these things really opened up our eyes to how the commercial space works. And now we're hopefully getting using that experience to now apply to apply it to much larger deals moving forward. How how are the numbers on those deals? I know like for hotels, since it's hospitality, sometimes the lenders don't like NOI cap rates. So they like to do like the gross rent multiple because the expenses are really high. How do they do that? Well, on the acquisition, the appraiser used like three different approaches for valuation. They use uh, the property wasn't operating at the time, so they couldn't go off of like any NOI or history. Mm-hmm. Um, but they use a sales a sales approach, and then they use a cost approach, right? Okay. So they they had a kind of a mixed approach to how they value the property. They valued it at three point four million. We bought it at three, so that was a great sign. Um, but moving into now going into a refi. Um, I, I do think that we're starting to build revenue. We're starting to build that income history. So now they can trend more towards either um, a, more of like a cap rate approach, right? In Palm Springs, cap rates are actually between seven and a half and eight and a half for these types of properties, which is really fantastic. So we bought the property for three million. We put another like million in with all of our holding costs and. I think we're in all about like 4.2 and based on those cap rates in the area, we, if we hit our NOI, we're looking at a $6.2 million valuation, which wow. fantastic. Which would mean we would create essentially was like $2.8 million in equity. In air. And, and how much time? Less than a year. Oh my God. Yeah. That just beats all of our no, I'm, I'm depressed. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about scalability, right? This is why we went into the boutique hotel space because we saw the possibilities with scaling and we knew our skills in the short-term rental industry were transferable into yeah. the boutique hotel space because it's hospitality. And you guys can run the business even with the high 7 8% interest rate. They're going to want like 50% LTV, all that garbage too. Yeah, and that's one thing we learned, right? We didn't know this, but... Conventional loans in the hospitality space, it's very common to see max 55% LTV, mm-hmm. which we didn't know we were expecting so much higher. There's things like SBA loans that go up yeah, to 90. 80%. Yeah. But that's actually a challenge we're, we're having right now is refining this loan in such a crazy interest rate market that you know we're almost better off staying in our bridge loan rate, which is it's, it's high, but it's definitely lower than what we're seeing right now. So it's been a challenge refining right now, but um, we're we're really learning like strategies and different ways to structure this type of refinance more creatively just to keep our 
our rates down and cash flow as much as possible. Yeah, that's a big growing pain for us right now. Yeah. Is I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I try to read up on this as much as I can. There's something like 1.5 billion in commercial loans that's going to need to get refinanced. It's trillion. To it's now trillion. It's 1.5 trillion. Oh my oh, god! See, yeah. So, yeah. 1,500 billion. <laughs> Crazy. Wow. Yeah. So thank you for correcting me on that. So we're trying to refinance before we get caught in that storm of $1.5 trillion that needs to get refinanced. It's just a crazy uh, environment because of how the, the feds have jacked up the rates, the overnight, overnight rates. So yeah, so a lot of people who bought bridge loans like beginning of pandemic because it was free, they're going to get hosed in the face like this year and next year and the next year. Yep. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. might lose their properties. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I know scared. a lot of folks got adjustable rate caps or they got no rate cap on some of their loans, which is even scarier. Like, luckily, we're not in that situation. Yeah, yeah we, we were just talking about that the other day. Yeah, we were really aggressive going into the, um, you know, the pandemic. We bought all kinds of crazy stuff. But I was just smart enough to get only fixed rate debt for 30 years. <laughs> just smart. I was just like, nah, I don't like these arms in these two years. Yeah. I'm like, I know the rates are cheap. I'll just pay that little bit extra and keep it fixed for 30 years. So all of our stuff is, we don't even have one. Yeah. We have two arms, but they have a cap they on them. Cap. Yeah, so you got the cap, so that's pretty good. What the rates are, yeah, what the rates are now. So it, it worked out, but arms can be helpful in certain situations, but they can be disadvantageous in others. So it's all about the timing and looking what where uh, opportunity cost is. Well, it's nice as it sounds like you guys are, you know, pretty darn good at capital raising. So worst case scenario, you know, you got to get raised capital. Plan yeah. B, plan C. That's yeah. funny you say that because we're talking about, all right, let's just pull in a private money lender to come in and refinance our debt, right? Obviously, the rates on this kind of loan have to be lower for us to work. So we just have to find the right person. But yeah, and, and actually we're in the middle of raising for another massive hotel deal. And it's by far the biggest raise we've ever done. And we're raising about 12.6 million. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're, we're pretty, we're trying to learn like how to raise a different type of capital from a different type of investor. Right. So hopefully in all of that raising, we can come across someone who wants to work on on our current hotel. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. This $12.6 million raise is for a 107-key hotel. Um, it's a branded hotel that we'll be converting to boutique. Um, and then hopefully add a couple more doors. So we'll add a total of, a, uh, we'll be a total of 114 doors. Um, so <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this one. <laughs> no Do we have another hour and a half? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, we always say, I get this from one of my mentors, no roses till it closes, but we're actively yeah. raising for this. So hopefully we're able to lock it up and get it under contract. And we'd love to chat again. And, you know, wow. six months from now, once we have this yeah. thing under contract and we're cranking This was away. a syndication, by the way, which is our okay. first syndication yeah. so we're learning a lot all starting all over with the learning process yeah. learning i like what we said earlier we're just always learning always a student yeah. you know we thought we were smart buying two every six months and you're like yeah we bought four ten and hundred and twenty the goal is to 10x every year right yeah that's <laughs> for crazy. everyone listening just a reminder they bought their first deal three years ago yeah yes. that's crazy <laughs> you know we had uh the one before this we were talking with dina jerry and then uh, she was saying, you know, $16 million deal is too small for me to look at it. And then me and him are going, dude, our entire portfolio is not even $10 million. She's yeah. like, 
obviously why is he even talking to us he's like yeah. doing us a favor you know it's crazy that how yeah, she's raising like 100 million just this quarter which is yeah. insane she wants to get the <laughs> 1 billion mark you know yeah, good for her. Fantastic. She's she's so cool. She's, she's an amazing, an amazing woman. We actually met her um, a year ago at Clever Summit, and we had a funny story. Someone gave her some ketchup chips, and she was like, "Ketchup chips? Like, These what are the disgusting. hell? These are so gross. I don't even like ketchup." And we had just gone to Canada a few months prior to that and ate those ketchup <laughs> chips. So I was like, "Hey, I'll take the ketchup chips." So when we saw her again at Amy's event. We reminded her of her. We reminded her of the ketchup chips, and she's like, "Oh, you guys are the people that get the ketchup taste. chips." Yeah, that's crazy. yeah. the yeah, weirdos. Yeah, yeah, she was. She was so sweet and so generous with her time and advice, just as you guys are. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I had a blast. I feel like you know, I I want to keep picking your brain, but um, I definitely will. Um, you know, want to put your listings in our description of everywhere we launched this so we'll make sure we do that and uh share you know how amazing you guys are, are doing. i definitely want to schedule something like six months from now after you close this deal and see what's going on and talk about growing pains but if i get the six months when are you guys in town next we'll hang out and have yeah. lunch and we'll take you around our properties you know and this yeah. is actually my home so i we just have like a one podcast room uh, you guys can, yeah, welcome to visit. So cool. Thank you. Yeah, I believe uh, June, we'll be making trips to LA. I think we'll be in there every weekend in June, pretty much. So oh, let's, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to stay in OC? Your stay is on us. Man. Yeah, just tell us. We'll send them the list. That's like we'll nine issues. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see what you We'd got. We'd love to. We'd be honored. Yeah, gentlemen. thank you, Come apart, bro. Help me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you pick up the, uh, you know, you, you give them a couple of pointers and your reward is free stay for yeah. the weekend. That's oh, the deal. I'll do that all day. Yeah. Oh, be dude. careful what you ask for. Yeah, I'll tear it up. I'll give you a report. Bro. I'll send you a message. <laughs> He's like ready. He's like, this is a fail. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure they're great, guys. No, yeah. they're probably amazing. And congrats yeah. on all your success, too. I think the timeline, the similar timeline is very, very cool to hear. And it just goes to show for the audience what is possible starting in such a short period of time, right? And when you have that momentum, write it all the way. Like, keep going with it. And, you know, speaking of these events and whatnot, I mentioned proximity being in proximity to powerful people like that's how we met right Vince like yeah. you were at the event and I was like why is this dude's last name Hernandez he looks <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you know we had a great chat bro and like I'm so grateful you know to to meet you and we're so grateful to be guests on the show I think what you guys are doing is incredible so it's an absolute honor thank you very much for having us thank you so much thanks guys how do people uh, get a hold of you guys yeah, Instagram is honestly the easiest way. So I'm at David J. Fornelli, F-O-R-N-E-L-L-I. Uh, mine is underscore Amanda Fornelli, underscore. Yep. Wow, she went with the underscore just yeah. to make it complicated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Someone already yeah. took my name without underscore, so I was pretty sad about that. Yeah. Like that's an engineer move. Like yeah. Underscore. <laughs> underscore. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know what else to use. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, we have um, we have link trees in our Instagram, so um, people can put time on our calendars or see our short-term rentals, direct booking site, you know, whatever. And check out our hotel. We just launched Yara, Y-A-R-A, palmsprings.com. We're super happy with it. Come stay with us. We'd love to host you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, gentlemen. I don't know about you, but I definitely like to see five-star reviews on any service or any product before I purchase. Please take a second to leave us a five-star review, whether you're listening to it on Apple, iTunes, or Spotify, or whatever platform. 
Take a second. It goes a long way. Helps us a lot to grow the channel. And thanks for listening.